Now imagine and suppose that you could ask the prophet Isaiah, please tell us, what was the most memorable experience that you have ever had, the most honor that you have ever experienced, the most privileged moment in your life? What was that? How do you suppose he would answer that question? Or suppose you could ask the prophet Isaiah, tell us, what was the most painful and the most traumatic experience you have ever had in your life? My guess is that his answer to those two questions would be the same. Isaiah would say, the most honored experience that I have ever had, the most privileged experience I've ever had, the most glorious thing that I've ever experienced, and the most painful and the most traumatic thing that I've experienced is when I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and his holiness filled the temple. Do you remember? That's exactly what we read in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then what we read after that is totally unexpected. You would think seeing the Lord in his glory would fill Isaiah's heart with joy and mirth and thrill, but far from it. Seeing the Lord's glory did not fill Isaiah's heart with joy, but rather, this is what Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And you have to wonder, you know, it's so interesting. When I listen to some modern praise music, contemporary Christian music, they sing so lightly of seeing God's glory, except the prophet who has seized the glory of God is shattered in pieces. And he pronounces woe upon himself and is filled with sorrow. Why? Well, you have to realize and remember when this is happening. Isaiah prophesies that experience of seeing the Lord in the temple with the words, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. King Uzziah, we can read about him, for example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. He started out well. He was actually one of the better kings of Judah. And when he was young, he loved the Lord, he feared the Lord, and he served him faithfully. And for that, the Lord blessed him, and Uzziah prospered. But as he became uh, more prosperous and wealthy and successful, pride filled his heart, and he became arrogant. So much so that he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And of course, that, that was the 
a priestly duty of a special people who have been set apart for that purpose and purified and sanctified for that purpose. But Uzziah thought nothing of the holy ministry, and he entered into the uh, temple of the Lord to burn incense. And the godly priests were terribly concerned for him, and they tried to stop him, but he became angry at them. And the Lord judged Uzziah's arrogance. And so we read in 2 Chronicles 26, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. Now in the Old Testament, leprosy is is the the tangible and physical way to understand what sin does to a person. Leprosy disfigures a person, maims a person, destroys a person's body. And so the disease, leprosy, became a tangible uh, teaching moment, an instrument by which we understand what sin does to a person. Sin disfigures a person's heart, maims him, and makes him unclean so that he is banished. The sinner is banished from the presence of the Lord. And that's why in Leviticus chapter 13, the Lord commanded the leper to cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. That is to say, The year that King Uzziah died, when Isaiah saw the Holy Lord seated on his throne, the year that King Uzziah died, the air is thick with God's holiness. His wrath and judgment that fell upon Uzziah. And Isaiah, as he sees the Lord seated upon the throne in his holiness, Isaiah realizes his own danger. And he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Where have you heard unclean lips? Leviticus chapter 13. That's where the Lord commanded the lepers to cover their lips and say, unclean, unclean. And when Isaiah sees the Lord in his holiness, he sees himself as a spiritual leper. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he says, I dwell in the midst of an unclean, midst of a people of unclean lips. You see, what Isaiah realizes in the year that King Uzziah died in leprosy, banished from the presence of God for his sins, having lived out his last days crying out, unclean, unclean, Isaiah realizes that he and the entire nation are spiritual lepers, disfigured by sin and fearing the judgment of the holy God, and that they, as disfigured sinners, They are alienated and banished from the presence of God. And of course, as we have made our way through the book of Isaiah, we have seen clearly 
and repeatedly, haven't we? The very evidence of Israel's spiritual leprosy, how they were disfigured, contorted, twisted, and ruined by sin. But the amazing thing is that in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah realizes his danger and pronounces woe upon himself, the Lord says to Isaiah, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And the same Lord kept speaking grace, hope, redemption, restoration, and comfort to Israel. But so far, there was no detailed explanation just how God would restore twisted, ruined, fallen sinners, just how God would comfort the lost people. And that answer comes now. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. That is how. And so this morning, we have an opportunity to consider that work of God, which brings grace, hope, redemption, and restoration to fallen people. And we are going to do that in three particular ways. One, and first, we are going to think about what the cross of Jesus means to God. What the cross of Jesus means to God. Now, in chapter 52, verse 13, the Lord says, Behold my servant. And of course, you and I, we know who that servant of the Lord is. Jesus. Jesus is the servant of the Lord that God is speaking of here. And you and I, with the benefit of the New Testament, you and I, we know just how God will pour out his grace, hope, redemption, restoration, and comfort to his people. And God will do that. You and I know this, don't we? God will do that through the suffering and death of his servant, Jesus Christ. But here's the rub. What Jesus will suffer in order to save his people appears in every way to be utter foolishness. What? The only way that God, that powerful God, the loving God can save sinners is to send his son to die, to be rejected, to be tried as a criminal, and to be executed upon the cross. Who's got time for this? It strikes people as utter nonsense that such shame, such rejection, and such dishonor is the way of salvation. That's what Paul talks about, Paul means when he talks about the foolishness of the cross. And so what God will do in order to save people appears to to man as utter foolishness. And that is why from the outset, God tells us what the cross means to him. It is not foolishness, but rather he says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Now, wisdom in the Bible is knowing exactly what to do in in every situation to accomplish the best result. 
That is to say, when the Lord says, my servant shall act wisely, he is saying, the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, although it appears so foolish, uh, foolish in man's eyes, that suffering is actually Jesus following the best and the only means that will result in grace and forgiveness for spiritual lepers and reconcile them to God. The suffering, the cross, and death of Christ, foolishness in the eyes of the world, but wisdom in God's eyes. And that is why the Lord says, He shall be high and lifted up. High and lifted up. Where did you hear that before? In chapter 6. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Same words. Same expression. And what we are seeing here is that Jesus' suffering, far from being a shameful scandal, actually brings upon Jesus the very glory of the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And because the servant in his suffering and death will redeem sinners, he will be exalted high and lift it up. And because of what Jesus does on the cross, the whole creation will exalt him as Lord who is enthroned in glory. And you see, to God, the cross of Jesus that saves sinners is at once both the very expression of his heart's desire and it is at the same time the very pathway to the highest and the greatest glory. That's what the cross of Jesus means to God. Secondly, we want to ask, what does the cross mean to Jesus? What does the cross mean to Jesus? Notice verse 13, verse 14. As many were astonished at you. And then Isaiah inserts a parenthetical remark. Why people were astonished at the servant of the Lord. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Now this is uh, not just describing the violence that will be inflicted upon Jesus' body. Yes, Jesus will suffer unspeakable violence. He will be whipped. His head will be lacerated with cruel thorns. His hands and feet will be nailed through to the cross, and he will be pierced with the spear. And his body will suffer unspeakable trauma. But there's more than that. You see, Isaiah sees Jesus marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Isaiah sees the body of Jesus disfigured that you, cannot, you can hardly believe that he is a human being. You know, this is a description of leprosy. That's what leprosy does. 
I suppose we don't often see lepers anymore around us. Um, we have modern medicine. Thank God for that. Uh, some of the older people in this room may have seen lepers and what leprosy does. You can Google the pictures of leprosy. It completely disfigures a person. It maims, contorts, and it leaves a sight that is so terrible that you can hardly remember the person before their leprosy ravaged his body. And that's what Isaiah sees. Jesus completely disfigured. You see, the servant of the Lord, he knew that there is only one way for sinners to find grace. And he had to take upon himself the spiritual leprosy of his people. He had to take their sin, our sins, your sin and my sin, and be defiled for us. He had to be made unclean with our sins, and he had to be shunned and rejected as you and I were destined to be. And he had to be cast away from the presence of the Holy God. That's what Isaiah sees. But what would compel Jesus to do this? It was his love. It's the love that spares nothing to save sinners. And it's the love that pays the price no matter how costly. It's the love that reconciles us to God. And so the sinless one, the righteous, holy servant of the Lord, he became defiled with our sins because he loved us. That's what the cross of Jesus means to him. Taking upon himself our spiritual leprosy to be disfigured, to be ruined, to be broken in our place. Thirdly and finally, we've seen what the cross means to God and we have seen what the cross means to Jesus and finally we ask, what does the cross mean to us? What does the cross mean to you? It means this. Jesus has made us clean. That's what the cross of Jesus means. And so we read, So shall he sprinkle many nations. In the Old Testament, the act of sprinkling with water and blood purified people and objects. And that was a, a vital part of the ministry of grace and atonement because God would sprinkle sinners and, and unclean and unholy objects. The blood of the sacrificed lambs will be sprinkled and clean water will be sprinkled and they would be proclaimed clean and set apart for God's holy use. And that is exactly what Jesus has done. As we will read in next week's passage, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, 
we are healed. Our stain, our filth, our disease were put on Jesus, and Jesus in turn sprinkled many nations. And the blood and the water that were sprinkled in the Old Testament or the shed blood that we drink in communion every Sunday and the water of baptism, they all present to our heart the purifying work of our Lord Jesus. And because of what Jesus suffered, because of what he has done, you and I, we have been made clean. You and I, we are no longer defiled in the eyes of God. And there is now no shame, no condemnation, no judgment hanging over us. And because Jesus died and because Jesus cleansed us, we have been redeemed from living a futile life of idolatry. But we have now been set apart for holy use. And that is why Isaiah goes on to say, Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. You know, it's really interesting. We, we mankind, uh, we always think that we have the power to save ourselves. Whatever trouble we may, uh, may face, we, we tend to think and assume that we have the resources within to meet every challenge and face any, every obstacle. But the cross of Jesus Christ, its very existence, it points to the fact that the suffering servant of the Lord is our only hope. The problem that sinners have before the holy God, we have no way of resolving that problem. The problem that we as guilty, defiled, fallen people have before the righteous God, we have no resource, no ability, no solution to that. That is why Jesus is our only hope. And that's what shuts the mouths of kings. And that's what leaves us speechless. Who could have dared imagine that God would sacrifice his own son to save us? And so be silent before him in wonder and in awe. And if you must open your mouth, open it to praise your Savior. How fittingly that beautiful Advent hymn says, Let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. So how do we celebrate Christmas this year? Be silent in awe and wonder, and then open your mouths to praise your Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your own begotten Son 
who in his great love for us willingly and gladly defiled himself with our sins and was banished from your presence, rejected in shame. But it is because of his loss that we have gained. It is because of his death that we live. And so I pray, O oh God, if there is anyone here who is not certain of where they stand before you, let them turn to you in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and receive from you full pardon and assurance. And if there is anyone in this room who have forgotten what Jesus has done for them, may we all remember May we be silenced in awe and then open our mouths in joyful worship. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.